Well, we're very thankful for the gracious invitation on your behalf for us to be with you this weekend. And we're very encouraged by the times we've had together. We see in the days we're living in, there's a great battle over the very testimony of the life of Jesus. And in these days, we are those that are called to really walk wisely in the day in these days. We see that we need one greater and wiser than Solomon to help us through. And we can find encouragement for this in Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi. Paul had a very close relationship with this, these dear ones. So if we can turn to Philippians chapter 1. We see Paul's prayer for these dear ones. We'll, we'll read from Philippians 1, 6 through 11. If we notice in verses 6 through 8, Paul is speaking of how close he is with these dear ones and his heart of appreciation for them. And then out of this close, intimate relationship that he has with them, he offers up a very specific prayer for them for the days they're living in. Starting in verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you, you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent or distinguish between the things that differ in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 因为你们常在我心里无论我是在捆锁之中是辨明正实福音的时候你们都与我一同得恩我体会基督耶稣的心肠切切的想念你们众人这是神可以给我做见证的我所祷告的就是要你们的爱心在知识和各样的见识上多
Lord, we're so thankful that you have made every provision for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we come dependent upon you to open these words that are written upon a page. And through the enabling of thy spirit, cause them to be words of life within our heart. Lord, in the days we're living in, we have a greater and greater need for you. And we're thankful, Lord, you have made every provision for us in these days. Lord, we're thankful that as we gather, we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over this time. And by faith we enter into all that you have for us. In thy wonderful name we pray. Amen. We see as Paul is starting this letter. How these dear ones in Philippi have always been so close with Paul. From the, when he was beginning and sharing the gospel in, his, in this area, we know that Philippi was that first church in Europe where Paul went to declare the gospel. And he not only was there that one time, but we see how through this relationship that was established, they have maintained the precious fellowship. They have been partakers with him through many difficult times. And they're continuing to stand with him. And Paul, because of his, the close relationship he has with them, he, he offers this prayer. <coughs> now this prayer that Paul has for them, it's not just a general prayer. It's not just a Hail Mary. But knowing the brothers and sisters and knowing what they're going through, he prays very specifically for them. Because he knows how the enemy loves to come in and twist and distort things. And Paul's prayer for them is a prayer of discerning love. We see how the things that are so precious and that testify of the Lord are so often distorted by the enemy. And Paul wanted these ones in Philippi to be equipped with this matter of discerning love. And then we look in the days that we're living in, and we see how it is so vital in these days. The true love of God, this word love, is so distorted. There's much confusion about this. There's much counterfeit and it gets confused and mixed with sentimentality. It's like we're just supposed to love everybody, let everybody do what anybody wants to do, and everything is okay. If I let you do what you want to do, and you let me do what I want to do, that means we love each other. But we know that's, that's not God's true love. That verse that we spoke of yesterday in Hebrews, 
about whom her father loves, he disciplines. We don't equate discipline with love very often in the modern world. But Paul, out of this close relationship with these dear ones, he knows that they have a love. And he's praying that this love will abound even more and more. And why, how is he praying for them? That it would abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And why is that? That in the midst of confusion, they could distinguish between those things that differ. Things that look very similar on the outside, they would have a spirit of knowing what is really of the Lord and what's not. With that goal of being found sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now this love that Paul knows of of those in Philippi, we see it from the very birth of that church. If you look back in Acts chapter 16, of how Paul and Timothy, as they went over there to Philippi, and they, they see this group of women by the river, and they share the glorious gospel with Lydia. And we see how in a heart of love she responds to them and her household is saved. And in the true spirit of love she opens their home for hospitality and caring for these dear ones. We know later in that story how Paul was put in jail. And God in His great love had a great earthquake that night. The jailer was getting ready to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul calls out to him, we're still here. And that jailer comes in and Paul ends up ministering to him and the jailer and his family get saved. The jailer shows love by washing their wounds and caring for them. And as, as this relationship has continued, we see how they, they not only prayed for Paul, but they were providing financial support. And this letter is actually written about 12 years after Paul's first visit there. Paul is now in prison in Rome. And the occasion for the letter is that one from Philippi came to Paul. This Epaphroditus came with a report of the condition of the saints and the gift from the brethren. And in response to that, Paul writes this very personal, heartfelt letter to these ones. Because Paul has this desire and burden for them that their love would not just grow, but it would abound more and more. They did not, they not just settle in to where they are. 
But they would be continue to abounding and growing in the love of God. This, we see this in Paul's life. Paul's life, he was full of the fire of the love of God. And he wanted the brethren to have this fire burning within them. And the Proverbs describe one unique characteristic about fire. The Proverbs say, fire never says enough. When something catches on fire, it just doesn't say, okay, I burned one building, that's enough, I'll just stop. That fire is never satisfied. And Paul is desiring that the fire of the love of God and these dear ones never be satisfied. But unlike that fire that's doing destruction, this is not an out-of-control wildfire. But this fire is guided by the full knowledge and discernment of the Lord. Fire can either be destructive or constructive. We can have a fire that destroys buildings. But when a fire is in its right place and right and with right constraints, it brings heat and warmth from a fireplace. So Paul is saying, through this knowledge and discernment of the Lord, it will allow your love to grow into a fullness and stay on track for God's purpose. He is so jealous for these ones. And brothers and sisters, the Lord's heart is for each one of us to have this same burning fire of the love of God in our hearts today. We can have such a, a, a characteristic of settling down and becoming content. We experience something of the love of the Lord and we say, oh, this is wonderful and we just camp out here. We experience the glory of the Lord and we're like a Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. We want to build tents and just stay there. Now we're thankful for those glorious moments. But we don't stay there. We use those to even kindle an even greater desire within us to know more of Him. We see this in Paul's life. Later on in this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul, who we say knew the Lord so much, was his desire. He wanted to know him more and more. He was pressing on to a fullness in Christ. And this is what he was desiring. And Paul was able to maintain this freshness in the Lord through a very simple process. Sometimes we love to complicate things. But what was Paul's secret? Paul's secret was that he had simply a daily intimate relationship with the Lord. Every day he had that time with him. 
He was living in his presence. It wasn't something he did just once or twice a week. But day by day, Paul was keeping that fire afresh. If you've ever lived in a home that you needed fire for heat, there's a constancy of putting those logs into the stove. That it stays at that temperature of burning and keeping it warm. And Paul was desiring, and he has this desire for us that we keep that love that we have for him hot and glowing every day. This abounding in his love is not doesn't come about by us trying harder. It's not a matter of our will saying, I will love him more, I will love him more. It's actually a matter of yielding. And knowing him and allowing his life to come in and to, to kindle that fire afresh. That is, Paul, as we said in this prayer, He's praying that this love would abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Now when we stop and think about this, most of us do not equate knowledge and discernment with love. How often in our prayer lives? We're praying for the love of Christ to grow within our hearts. And then after we finish that prayer, we say, Lord, also we pray for more knowledge and discernment in these days. Paul is showing how vitally interrelated these are. That because we usually look at it as different parts of the Christian life. But Paul is wanting us to see as in these dear ones in Philippi that these are vitally related with one another. Because what is love without knowledge and discernment? Love without knowledge or discernment will go to one of two extremes. On the one hand, you'll have fanaticism. Being a fanatic. And we see an example of this in the scripture. We have Paul. Before Paul was saved, he was called Saul. Saul had a great love for God. He thought he was serving God. But what was he was doing? He was persecuting the church. Because he didn't have the true knowledge and discernment of what God wanted. So Paul was an old old time terrorist. But we see how God can save terrorists. And also we see that on the other end of that spectrum, we have the fanatical one, you can have sentimentality or natural love on the other end. We're just driven by our natural emotions and our feelings. It's a human love. 
It's sentimentality. And this is actually we see in the scripture what a couple of the Lord's disciples had. James and John, uh, they 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 earned themselves the name sons of thunder. Because one time as the Lord was going through Samaritan, the ones weren't receiving him. They wanted to call down lightning upon these ones. What was that coming from? Their sentimentality, their natural love for the Lord. But they didn't have any knowledge or discernment. So without we we see how vitally related love, knowledge, and discernment are. Also without love. Maybe we have some knowledge. What does that do? That puffs us up in pride. We have all this great knowledge, but we don't have that love of Christ humbling our heart, and we're just proud of the knowledge we have. Maybe you have some discernment, but you're not, you, you don't have any that love of Christ in your heart. So what does that discern, natural discernment do for you? It just simply makes you self-righteous. You're going around judging everybody. Of course, you're blind to yourself. But you, as you look down upon every, you can find every fault in every brother and sister. So we see how that we need to have this love of, and knowledge and discernment working together in our hearts and lives. They're vitally interrelated and interdependent upon one another. We're thankful how you know, in the world ones will say there's this old saying, love is blind. Sometime we uh, do some counseling of ones getting married. And you know the main objective in marriage counseling is to open the eyes of the two that can really see who they're marrying. Because that natural love, that they're, they're totally oblivious to all their faults. But then after they get married, all of a sudden the blinders come off. Rather,他们一好像一结婚之后，好像那个窗帘就打开了。就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是，就是
This is that Greek word uh, epignosis. And this is more than just a mental knowledge. But this is an experiential reality of the knowledge of the Lord. It's a spirit experiential reality of the truth of Christ becoming real in our hearts. Many of us at times we can speak of the peace of God, the comfort of God. But then when we go through a crisis of life, when you show up to class one morning and the teacher has going to all of a sudden have a pop exam, there's more prayer that goes up in that moment. <laughs> the schools can ever ban. So. But what, what we discover in moments like that is that all of a sudden we find a peace of God coming into our heart in the midst of a circumstance that we would naturally be out of rest. It's through these circumstances where we start to experience these truths that this, not, this truth becomes real knowledge to us. One of the contrasts between what we could call mental knowledge and this true knowledge Mental knowledge is something that we acquire and hold on to. We can talk about it. And it actually at times it can puff us up because of all of our great knowledge. But this real knowledge that Paul is praying for here, this is a knowledge that acquires us. It gets a hold of us. And it holds us and it humbles us. And it controls, it directs our walk and our life. And it's used for building us up together. It, it, there's not a pride associated with this. That's why we see men of God throughout the scripture over and over saying, they have a little phrase. When they've seen a revelation of the Lord, there's a reality within their heart of what He's doing with them. They're before Him over and over, simply saying, Who am I? That's not a false humility. But there's a knowing of who the Lord is. The call that he has upon their life. And the Lord has that call upon each one of us. And he's made a way for each one of us to enter into this in the full knowledge of him. That knowledge of seeing and knowing his heart and his purpose. In the days we're living in, quite often we can be a purposeless people. And it's sad, even within Christianity, the way we have shared the gospel has not brought people into this full knowledge. So often, Jesus is simply presented as our Savior. 
Praise God, He is our Savior. But when we look in the Scripture, He's presented as Lord and Savior. There's a coming under that Lordship. It's a learning of Him. Coming into being disciples of Him. Not just that life insurance policy to keep us out of hell. But Paul wants these dear ones to abound more and more in this knowledge. And praise God, but it's not just this knowledge. He wants this knowledge to also be filled with this discernment. Being spiritually wise and have insights into what his heart is. And this word discernment here, it's a precious, another one of these precious Greek words. It's actually the only time it's used here in the New Testament. But it's being able to distinguish between things that have a like appearance but are in reality different. Not just by judging things the way they look outwardly. Seeing the inner reality of something. Not just judging ones by the way they talk or act. Being able to recognize his life in the midst of confusion. Being able to recognize this is of the Lord and that's not of the Lord. In this day and time, there's so many voices out there in the name of Christianity. This is Christ, this is Christ. How do you know which one is really of Him? If we don't have that intimate personal relationship with Him, we can follow the wrong voice. But as we know His voice, as we discern between all of the things that can look like outwardly, and hear His voice, we can follow that. Again, this is a simple thing. It comes about from relationship. Yeah. I love how you know, we can be seated here. And maybe the nursery is over in the other room. And one, one baby starts to cry. One mother gets up and goes. The mother knows the cry of her baby. Nobody has to say, okay, is that yours? Or the mother knows. Because they've got that relationship. The father still sits there asleep. <laughs> but the mother knows that cry of the baby. You know, and so it's like in this day, do we know our master's voice? And, and we, we learn it by being in his word. By being in fellowship with one another, sharing together. This is that, that discernment of being able to discern the things that outwardly look alike, but they're, they're in reality are different. And why does Paul pray this prayer for them? If you look at verse 10, he's praying so that they can approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. It talks about approving the things that are excellent. 
Things are approved by testing. You test the value, you test the genuineness of it, and the superiority of it. Those elements come forth. You have something that maybe starts as a theory. But as it's tested in life, it's proven reality to us. Sometimes Stella and I have the privilege of going being with the brethren in Seattle, Washington. And as you talk with some of the saints there that work at Boeing, how do they know that a new airplane is going to fly? They draw it up on all the schematics. And as they look at that schematic, every law of aerodynamics and everything that work is, is working properly there on the drawing. But do they know if it will fly? It should fly. But do they know if it will fly? And then they build a prototype. And they get all the wings and engines and they put them through wind tunnels and they test all of the various stress factors. But do they know if it flies? It should fly. But they still don't know for certain if it will fly. How do you know if it's going to fly? You take it on a test flight. Now I'll tell you, uh, I was in the military involved in aviation. And uh, the pilot, the, the pilots that do the test flights. Well, they're a separate breed. <laughs> but they know before they get on that flight, they know everything about that plane. They have studied it. And they, they know what this plane should do. And so when they take off that first time, they're, they're taking off with a full knowledge. Uh, they're taking off with so much knowledge about this plane. But do they just take off and fly around? Okay, we made it and come back down? No. They take off and they go through this test flight. And they put that plane through every type of stress test you can imagine. They push it beyond the limits. They put it in a climb that goes straight up till it stalls. They'll go along and they'll bank left and they'll bank right. They'll dive this and dive that way. They put it through every test possible to, to prove that this plane is worthy of someone else being able to get on it. And brothers and sisters, our Lord wants us to prove Him in the same way. Do you think there's a stress test in your life that He can't pass? Is there something in your life that we say, this Goliath, this wall is just too much? 
you know what the Spirit of the Lord says? The Spirit of the Lord says, test me and prove me. If, if there's something we don't think, we might not have uh, that, what we call full knowledge before. But as we entrust ourselves on faith to, to test Him and prove Him, He will prove ever faithful for us. And that we will be those that are being able to distinguish between what's of Him and what's not of Him. One of the great differences between the Spirit and the flesh is this matter of testing. The Spirit of God will say, test me, prove me. But how do we respond when our flesh gets questioned? When someone questions or tries to test their faith, we get offended. How dare you ask me that? Don't you know who I am? Yeah. But the Spirit says, test me and prove me. Sometimes we can create a false sense of humility in our own concepts of the Lord. He's so great, he's so mighty, how can I test him? But he wants to prove himself faithful to each and every one of us every day. He wants us to be trained. He wants us to be discipled. That we can distinguish between the things that differ in this age of confusion. The Lord tells us in these last days, many will come in my name. If we haven't proven and know within our heart who the Lord really is, how are we going to be able to discern this? This is what the Paul is praying for these dear ones in Philippi. Because they had a situation there that needed discerning love. We see in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, in chapter 4, there was two sisters that were in disagreement with each other. They were in rivalry with each other. And Paul is instructing Clement there. You know, to come alongside with this discerning love to help these sisters through this problem. These ones who had been fellow workers for the gospel had, had somehow fallen out with each other. And there was this rivalry going on and so Paul was praying that the, the brother would have discerning love to bring these sisters back together. We also see Paul writing on this matter of, the, of a great contrast of the way the gospel was going forth. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul shares about it while he's in prison there. There are ones there that are sharing the gospel. Some from good motives, some from just selfish, ambitious motives. Praise God, Christ is being preached. But then he draws a contrast with some over in chapter 3. 
In chapter 3, he sees that these ones who appear to be working for the Lord are actually working against him. There are these Judaizers, these evil and false workers. They were, they were actually taking away from the work of Christ. And he was saying, with this discerning love, I want you to be able to distinguish between these that are working for the Lord and these that are working against. Not get taken in by these false workers. But being trained to approve those things that are excellent. And why is it? So that we can be sincere and blameless until that day of Christ. And what this is, it's really the issue of the character of Christ being formed within us. When it talks about being pure or sincere, 讲到, uh, 纯净, uh, 纯净真实, it means something that is just simply unmixed with any other matter. And the Greek word here, the word means sun tested or tested by the sun. Now, a couple of weeks ago in Richmond, uh, we had eight inches of snow. Uh, and for us, that's a major event. <laughs> it snowed on a Saturday. We didn't meet on Sunday, and the schools were closed through Wednesday. And so it was, we, we knew it was coming, so Stella and I had, we were prepared, and we just stayed home. And in, a, in the back of our house, we have our den, and it opens up to some wooded area. And usually we have the shades pulled down so that the, the sun doesn't come through. But with the snow and everything being so pretty, and we, we raised all the shades. And we were just watching everything. Now Stella is an excellent housekeeper. You know, they got Ghostbusters, Stella's a dustbuster. She But well, as soon when the snow stopped, all of a sudden the sun came out. And what had appeared to be a dust free room. With the brightness of that sun, all of a sudden you can see some dust here and some dust there. Her, this room was sun-tested and we failed. <laughs> but the dust wasn't there very long. Pretty soon it was cleaned up. <laughs> but related to our Christian life. Sometimes we, th we can think we're doing okay. And we're moving along and we're, we're fairly content and we don't see any blatant sins going on. But then all of a sudden the light of the sun shines into our heart. And we start to notice some dust there, some things that are not of Him. 
It was really His love that shone into our hearts. That exposed the things that were of Him. And actually, this would be a prayer of our heart every day. Lord, shine upon me. Shine, test me, and let me see what's not of you that it can be dealt with. When we know of the love of the Lord, we want the light of His love to shine upon us in every nook and cranny of our life. Because we know His plans for us are good. He's got a great plan for each and every one of us. And at times we limit Him so much. By not simply giving him the freedom to set us free from the things that are entrapping us. But the more his love touches us, the more we want to be free of all of that. That we can be those that are sincere. And also it speaks of being blameless. Blameless is more not causing others to stumble. One way we could compare these two words of sincere and blameless. Sincere is dealing more with the, the inward, the integrity of our heart. And blameless is dealing more with our outward conduct. They're interrelated. Because if the sincerity of our heart there's a purity there, our conduct is going to be well right. But why does Paul desire these ones to be sincere and blameless? That they can be filled with this fruit of righteousness. And what is this fruit of righteousness? It's simply his life manifest in his people. The fruit of his life coming forth and blossoming is a testimony in the midst of a dark generation. All with that day of Christ in view. Whenever the Lord is calling us, there's always that end in view. He's desiring to prepare his people in such a way that we can be those that are ruling and reigning with him in the future. And he does that today. There's a dear brother named Ed Miller. And I've appreciated his ministry for many years. And he has a little phrase. I steal it a lot. But he says, How can we expect to welcome the King of Glory in the future? If we don't welcome him into our hearts today. As he's working in our hearts today, as he's causing this love to abound more and more in this real knowledge and discernment, that's how he's that's how he's doing this work of preparing us to be sincere and blameless until that day. But may the Lord, in a very fresh way. 
Give us a desire for this love with knowledge and discernment. Because we can see throughout Scripture how vitally it's related to the continuing of His testimony. I'm going to use two families in the Scripture to give us a, a contrasting picture of this discerning love. Through both of these families, the testimony of the Lord was greatly challenged. Events came in. At times it looked like it would be impossible for the Lord to continue on. But through the Lord's working, He was able to bring ones through to the victory. And what I want to share is about Joseph and his brothers. And David and two of his sons, Ammon and Absalom. And one way we're using Joseph as a positive example. David is a negative example. But we remember the story of Joseph. How, as he grew up in that family, he was the youngest one at that time. And his brothers were jealous of him. And his brothers sold him into slavery. Through, then Joseph ended up being in Potiphar's house and thrown in prison. But always it testifies God was with him. And how finally Joseph was he was brought out of that prison through interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh and made second in command of all of Egypt. And then because of the famine that the Lord brought, his the brothers of Joseph had to come to him. Now they didn't know it was Joseph. But Joseph knew it was them. And at times it can seem like a strange story. Why didn't Joseph immediately embrace his brothers? And say, oh, it's so good to see you. But Joseph had this discerning love. He knew for his brothers to be fully recovered and restored in this relationship. They had to come to a place of accepting responsibility for their actions and repenting. Natural sentimentality would say, oh, we're, we're whole family, we'll put the past behind, we just go on. But Joseph, with that knowledge and discernment, he said, no, these things have to get settled. And it, I believe it was a painful process for Joseph. But because he knew it was the Lord's way, there was a comfort within his heart and a patience to go through this. And we thank the Lord that through that process, those couple of trips with the brothers and how Joseph finally reveals himself. 
We see that the, the family is fully restored. As you read the details there, you see how the Lord is bringing conviction to these brothers. And how they come to this place of full restoration. It was this genuine discerning love that brought full restoration that allowed God's purpose to continue on. Because God had a call upon this family. And through Joseph's discerning love, the family was fully restored to God's heart and purpose and could be used for the furtherance of that. And you contrast that with David. Now for reference, the story of uh, Ammon and Absalom and Tamar is over in uh, 2 Samuel 13. Now David had, uh, he had a good number of children. He had one Ammon. A brother, a son named Ammon. And by another wife, he had Absalom and his daughter Tamar. And this one son, Ammon, he really desired Tamar. And through a series of events, he orchestrated a thing where he could he could abuse her, sexually abuse her. David found out about this. He did nothing. There was no discipline. We don't really know why. Maybe David wanted to save face within the family. He wanted to preserve the family image. We'll just as a family, we'll cover this up so nobody will know about it and we'll still look good. David didn't deal with that. Later on, Absalom wanted to get revenge for what Ammon had done to his sister. Absalom killed uh, Ammon. Again, David did nothing. No discipline for Absalom. Absalom did flee from David. And it speaks of how David was actually, he was yearning for Absalom. Again, he didn't do anything. There was no discipline here. Maybe again, preserving the family image. They didn't want, to, didn't want to lose face in front of everybody. But even when Absalom was finally brought back to Jerusalem, David never held him accountable for his sins. He never tried to restore, bring him to repentance. And maybe he thought, well, Absalom's learned his lesson. But what happened with Absalom? He actually created a rebellion against David, and David had to flee Jerusalem. And David gives the instructions, and they're getting ready to go out and, and fight against Absalom. David says, don't kill Absalom. Joab killed him. <laughs> and David, he was weeping over Absalom. And it was impacting the people. 
Joab literally takes David by the shoulders and shakes him. Uh, says, wake up. This should be a day of victory if you being restored to the throne and you're mourning over your son who was a rebel. Praise the Lord, David woke up. But because of David's sentimentality or his this natural love for his family, not, not this genuine discerning love, the kingdom was briefly threatened by this sentimentality. And God's purpose was almost halted there for a moment. But, but praise God, the Lord brought about a restoration and David was awakened. I often wonder with this, if David had first of all dealt with Ammon, discipline and trying to restore him, or later on if he had disciplined and tried to restore Absalom, if as a family they could have been brought together to be serving God's purpose in, in that generation. Because David knew that God restores those who have sinned. David had experienced the forgiveness of God in his, in his adultery. David had experienced the forgiveness of God in his murder. But somehow at that moment David lost sight of this and allowed that natural sentimentality to hinder him from really entering into what God had. But praise God, the Lord was still able to restore, but it was a costly process. He cost him the life of two of his sons. He thought he was trying to save the family. Two of them were lost. Sometimes our, our, the, the effects, the natural affection we have for our family can create a far greater problem than really allowing God's discerning love to come into certain situations. It is, it may be certain situations seem impossible. This is where we prove him and test him. And stand and see the salvation of our God in an impossible situation. This is the discerning love that we need. Yesterday we shared together on maintaining a Christian testimony toward the LGBT community. How do we do that? It's through this discerning love. Of no having that knowledge and discernment of going this way and that way. At times we don't know what to say. But as we're in a right relationship with the Lord. 
He can give us that word in season. Or he can give us a direction in season. So this is so vital in these last days. And we do pray that we would be those that are allowing the Lord's love to abound more and more. You know, our, our God is a God of love. But let me God's love is not can't grow anymore. God's love is full and absolute and has been given to us. But our experiencing of his love continues to grow and grow. And this is why daily as we offer ourselves to him. We could allow his life to work within us. Let it not be I but Christ. And that we would have that teachable heart. To learn, be learning his ways. To distinguish between what are just some of our natural affections or what is his genuine love. Let's just close by reading these verses. Starting in verse 9. Paul says, In this I pray that your love abounds still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 第九节，我所祷告的就是要你们的爱心在知识和各样见识上多而又多，使你们能分辨是非，做成是无过的人，直到基督的日子，并靠着耶稣基督结满了仁义的果子。Lord, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we see this word that was written a couple of thousand years ago. We find it very living and real for the days we're living in. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be working within each of our hearts. Because it seems like every day 